we get a widespread uptake of vaccine, we can put an end to this pandemic and we can create a veil of immunity that would prevent the infection from coming back. Millions of people rolled up their sleeves to do their part to end the pandemic. But for some people, it didn't go as expected. I got to where I could not breathe. My heart was beating out of my chest. Police officer was giving them CPR and I still wouldn't believe it. I was paralyzed from the cheeks down. He was on life support for six weeks. I have no idea what's happening. I haven't been able to find any help. Andre, are you all right? Yeah, uh, just uh, having an episode right now. I, I can't hold my head up right now, so that's what this caller here is for. I, I just want to do what I have to do to limit the damage and, and hopefully recover. We're told severe reactions to the vaccines are rare, but that's little comfort to those who are suffering. They say they've been abandoned by everyone, except a small group of doctors brave enough to say... We're facing a new disease, vaccine injury. This is a tragedy of untold proportions, which our federal government and state agencies pretends doesn't exist. This is a disease that has to come out of the shadows. disagreement around COVID-19 vaccine issues. I wanted to know why some doctors call vaccine injury a crisis when others don't see a problem at all. And what does it mean to be vaccine injured? I decided to hit the road and talk to as many people as possible to find out for myself. I put all of her supplements that are dry in the pills, so the powders and the pills, into boxes that are labeled um, Monday through Sunday. Um, and then in the morning, I add the formula and then the whatever day it is into the blender and blend it up. And then after that, I put it into her feeding bag, which is used with her pump. Um, and then that is what she, how she gets her nutrition for the day. You okay? Where's the... I'm able to work from home because somebody's got to be here for Maddie. Transfer her to the bathroom, get her up, take her for walks, just anything. And, and just hanging out with her because her friend circle is shrunk. It's just mainly I'm, I, I want to be there for her emotionally. Like, it's just her and me all day. I wasn't rich, but I, actually I did feel like I was rich with what little I had. I felt like a millionaire because, you know, I, we have our home. I have my son. He meant everything to me. When I went and took the Moderna, because I wasn't sure, I said, if anything should happen, let it happen to me. I didn't get any reactions at all, nothing. You know, so I felt 
pretty confident then. Pfizer says that, you know, it's safe for teenagers. He goes, sure, Dad, let's go. You know, was a lot of confidence in it too. So we went, and like I said, no side effects, nothing. Five days later, a neighbor knocked at the door, offering to take their son out to eat and play a game of basketball. I gave him a hug and a kiss. I gave him some money. I told him to behave and be good. And if you need it, you take call me. I never knew that was going to be the last time I'd talk to my son. Thank you very much. Today, I want to update you on the next stage of this momentous medical initiative. It's called Operation Warp Speed. Its objective is to finish developing and then to manufacture and distribute a proven coronavirus vaccine as fast as possible. Again, we'd love to see if we could do it prior to the end of the year. Warp speed required shrinking the normal vaccine development process from an average of about 10 years down to a matter of months. That required reducing the amount of time given for each phase of development and doing the phases in parallel instead of sequentially. Trials are normally done in phases so researchers can do all the tests and make sure it's safe enough to move on to bigger and bigger populations. In this case, that didn't happen. Maddie would always come outside. She was my nature girl. She did gymnastics. She played volleyball, constantly moving. She would do cartwheels in the stores, TikTok dances. So what was it that made you want to do the vaccine trial? My brother's friend mentioned it and then my brother um, wanted to do it. And then, you know, there's like benefits well, at the time, I thought. Like what? Because, well, obviously I would be one of the first people and I would be helping and you also get money, so. <laughs> but not that much. <laughs> All three of our kids were in the trial. Our middle son, Lucas, he ended up getting the placebo. Gabe got the one dose, and then he didn't get the second dose because he got COVID. And then Maddie got both doses. Pharmaceutical companies often contract out their clinical research. Ventavia was hired to run Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine trials. Due to the heavy workload, Ventavia needed more help and brought on Brooke Jackson, an experienced clinical trial auditor, to oversee and manage quality control at two Pfizer trial sites in the Dallas area. Jackson told me that from day one, she found major problems, which she attributed to the unusual speed of operations. They were getting pushed directly by Pfizer to enroll more patients, enroll more patients. I was having to bring so much to their attention. I've never been a part of a clinical trial in all of my my almost 20 years of experience run like this ever. Jackson says the issues she saw compromised the integrity of the data and patient safety. The first thing that I would look at is the informed consent form. When I'm looking at one signature page and comparing it to the signature on the next page, the signatures are not matching where the principal investigator is supposed to sign off, his signature's missing. The physical exam wasn't done. Something that, as an auditor, I'm trained to look for is repeated data. So you can tell by the laboratory processing log 
that this person is inexperienced in research. When I look here at this 30 minutes, every patient is blood clotted for 30 minutes. Per Pfizer's protocol, it could be anywhere between 30 to 90 minutes. So this data is, is falsified. This data is fraud. We were not monitoring the temperature of the vaccine. The, the temperature needed to be at least negative 70 degrees. I immediately went to my, my managers and said, this, this is a serious, serious problem. If we were to be investigated or inspected by the FDA, we would be shut down. The next most um, concerning of my findings was that everybody that was enrolled in the trial from July through the middle of September of 2020 had been unblinded to their treatment assignment. The site staff knew if the patient received placebo or whether they received the actual vaccine. It was a direct violation of Pfizer's protocol. It should have halted the enrollment of any additional participants, and we should have contacted Pfizer. What Bentavia wanted to do instead was lie to Pfizer, go into everybody's chart, and remove that randomization assignment and, and destroy the evidence. This is a quote from Christy Rainey, who's one of the owners of the company. She wanted to make the pause in enrollment like it's no big deal. I wouldn't say one negative thing. I would keep it that we were in the perfect place and we were being responsible. The person that was in charge of vaccinating our patients was working, again, way beyond her scope, had no medical training at all. And the position that she held right before coming to Ventavia was at a restaurant. And this was a person, again, that was responsible for preparing the vaccine and the one that was responsible for injecting it. I hope I've explained fully to the audience the, the takeaways that these two studies show, and these are just two, there are no doubt more now that we found these two, that at least since 2017, the people formulating these, you know, everyone who used a major part of these injections, which is lipid nanoparticles, knew that they degrade male and female mammalian reproduction and change sexual behavior and alter your hormones. And so they knew. So they knew like, like the way, you know, I know how to construct a paragraph because I'm a writer. They knew. They didn't tell us. So the bottom line is, I feel that this is conclusive evidence that it was intentional. You know, way back to 2017, actually it's Frontiers, um, this study shows uh, that many studies have examined the effect of nanoparticles on primary and secondary target organs with a concentration on the in vivo and in vitro effects of nanoparticles on the male and female reproductive systems at the clinical, cellular, and molecular level. Meaning, scientists have been looking for, for years now at closely at the effect of nanoparticles on reproduction at multiple levels. And you remember in the Pfizer documents, one of the creepier things is that they mated 
um, male rats that were vaccinated with female rats that were unvaccinated, sacrificed them, and then dissect, you know, looked at the cells of their sexual organs. Sorry to have such a weird conversation with you, but we have to face this. So the bottom line is everyone involved in the rollout at the highest levels, Boncel, um, Borla, uh, Dr. Walensky, the head of the FDA, uh, Dr. Collins, they knew they must have known. There is no way they did not know that these injections would mess up hormones, meaning mess up attachment and desire and family life and normal adolescent growth into normal adult human beings capable of forming attachments and, and families. And they knew that it would damage the testes, the, the sperm, the uteruses, the ovaries, and every single part of mammalian organs needed in reproduction. Less than 24 hours after receiving her second dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, she was unable to move from the neck down. Last month, a Tennessee woman who was left partially paralyzed after getting her second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Only 11 spoke with a local woman who says she lost feeling in much of her body just hours after getting Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. You are, as you write, one of the unlucky ones who suffered, who, who got, was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. A BC man who says he suffered a rare COVID vaccine injury that left him paralyzed will be getting financial support from the federal government. Now, if you got sick after taking the vaccine, what, what would happen if you did get sick after taking the vaccine? And when you tried to get help, everyone just treated you like you were an anti-vaxxer. The vaccine took my immune system and just shook it around again. Agony and uh, chronic pain. In our coronavirus coverage, a Utah woman and Utah senator are teaming up to get some answers. This comes after a group claims they've experienced life-altering injuries that they believe are from the vaccine. A shocking reaction to the COVID vaccine. New at five, the CDC says coronavirus vaccines have been remarkably safe and successful and serious adverse reactions are rare. And yeah, we more say, people have died under COVID this year, by the way, yeah, under Joe Biden, right. than under you. And more people took the vaccine this year. So people are questioning how... Well, uh, no, the vaccine worked, but yeah. some people aren't taking it. The ones, the ones that get very sick and go to the hospital are the ones that don't take the vaccine. But it's still their choice. And if you take the vaccine, you're protected. Look, the results of the vaccine are very good. And if you do get it, it's a very minor form People aren't dying when they take the vaccine. We used to go fishing, camping, do everything. We got the Pfizer vaccine because I thought it was to protect him. I thought it was the right thing to do. It was like playing Russian roulette. My government lied to me. They said it was safe. Now I go home to an empty house. This is a simple, basic proposition. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. Multiple agencies are now investigating what caused his death. CBS 13's Marissa Perlman is in Auburn with the woman who says she witnessed that man getting this shot. Marissa? 
Yeah, a lot to learn about this one, Steve. First, the county posting on social media that a person was diagnosed with COVID-19 back in December and then died just hours after getting the vaccine on Thursday. This news now causing concern in this community, now questioning the safety of the COVID-19 vaccine. And the J&J, if you look at them, particularly in things that we really care about that are important, it's got greater than 85% efficacy after uh, severe disease and critical disease. And there were no deaths or hospitalizations in any of the countries that were tested. And remember, they tested in the United States, in South Africa, and in South America. This is a good vaccine. I think we need to pull away from this comparing and parsing numbers until you compare them head to head. Just be really grateful that we have three really efficacious vaccines. Local woman says her mother died two days ago after receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And now she believes the dose is what caused her mother's sudden death. Off the top at six, the CDC is investigating the death of an Ionia County wife and mother who received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It's one small step for Emma Berkey, but one giant leap in her recovery. It's about six months since Berkey suffered from rare blood clots after taking the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. From smiling with her family to an agonizing hospital stay, 51-year-old Nicole Audia says the Johnson & Johnson vaccine sent her into a physical tailspin. I was in the hospital for six weeks. I was out of work for 10. My heart will never be the same. And we've got to get to this other breaking story as we speak. The FDA and the CDC has announced that they are now recommending a pause in the use of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. The FDA and CDC calling for a pause in the use of the single-dose shot out of an abundance of caution. Was a pause necessary in your view? Yes, I believe it was necessary for a couple of reasons. So what's going on here? Sudden death among healthy working-age people worldwide is skyrocketing. Here in America, it was up 40% during the third and fourth quarters of 2021. Our next guest contends a 10% jump would have been a 1 in 200-year event. But this was 40%. And so we have a health problem, a national health crisis, and at the very least, it should be examined and discussed openly. Unfortunately, the vaccine is a taboo subject, and uh, it's not allowed to be discussed in the mainstream media or pretty much anywhere near health authorities. So this is a problem that needs to be reckoned with. We need a national discussion about it. And, I, you know, if I'm proven wrong, that's great. But unfortunately, uh, on Wall Street, when we see statistics like this, um, we, 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 and, and trend changes like this, uh, we become quite alarmed. And that's yeah. what I do for a living. Family says the mother and grandmother was healthy before she got her shot and that her sudden death came as a shock. Eyewitness News reporter Jessica Denova has more. This Orange County son worries his mom died because of her second Moderna COVID-19 vaccine dose. A conversation with staff at the OC coroner's office about Griselda Flores' death raised red flags for Richard Cardenas and his family. They made it seem like this was like not the first call that they had. And in this video, I'm going to be talking about a 13-year-old boy in Michigan who died three days after getting the Pfizer vaccine. The cause of death is being investigated by the CDC, and according to the patient's aunt on Twitter, the preliminary autopsy report showed that he had fluid around his heart. And it has been almost seven months since Abby received the vaccine. Her right arm continues to shake. Mm -hmm. After exercise, with any weight-bearing exercise, it shakes uncontrollably. Um, all of our questions and concerns were met with uncertainty. The doctors did not know. Could Abby's injuries get better? 
Could they get worse as changes? Is this the early stages of Parkinson's? No one knows, and no one has any answers. Do you know why they don't know? There are no long-term studies available. Abby is a study. Brandy Parker McFadden is confined to her hospital bed at Vanderbilt. Can you walk right here? No, I can't walk. Less than 24 hours after receiving her second Pfizer COVID shot, she explains she lost her ability to move from her shoulders down. All they know is that prior to my vaccine, I was healthy, I was whole. And then after my vaccine, I had complete paralysis of my body. I've regained the upper body strength and I'm working towards both toes moving on left and right. Schofield was active and healthy until about two weeks after receiving his second Pfizer vaccine in July of 2021. I started to get a tingling sort of heat sensation in my left foot. And then uh, <clears throat> within two hours, I was paralyzed from the waist down. Both hands, they're, um, as you can see, they're, they're curled in um, and I don't have a lot of wrist strength. Um, that makes obviously doing pretty much everything a challenge. The former pilot and realtor developed a rare neurological disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine in April of 2021. In September last year, Hayden, like millions of others, got his first Pfizer vaccine. Two weeks later, while he and fiancé Jax were looking at wedding venues in Nelson, he started feeling like he was having a heart attack. I went to bed and woke up at about, I think it was about 3am with like severe chest pain. Every time my heart beat was like, like a real deep stabbing pain. And I was like, babe, we're going to, I'm in a bad way. Well, I think I'm dying. And then we shot to the hospital in Nelson and we're like, oh yeah, you've got pericarditis. It's been a long road to recovery for Maddie John. It's a really uncomfortable and um, quite a frightening experience. He felt like he was having a heart attack two days after getting the Pfizer vaccine. I went and had the second and that, and then it got really bad. And I, within about a week, I had lost. My hands didn't really work. It's there until I go to bed and I take sleeping pills because I can't sleep because of the pain. Brianne Dressen is a preschool teacher in Saratoga Springs who participated in the AstraZeneca clinical trial back in November. We all knew that some people were going to draw the short straw and that includes her. I'm on the bowling team from the high school, Dyer County. And uh, I noticed when I was throwing the ball that I couldn't feel my arms or legs. So I was freaking out. Her parents took her to see a doctor in Jackson. And when we got in finally, um, my doctor, my PA, told me like right off the bat what she thought it was. She was like, you have Gillian Beret. In the morning, I was just looking and I thought, gosh, something is weird with my face. And I thought, whatever, I slept funny, no big deal. And by the end of the day, my husband even, I was asking him, like, this is weird now. And even with kindness, he had to say, yes, it was. A phone consult with Gibson's doctor confirmed that she had developed Bell's palsy, a form of facial paralysis. Sean Muldoon developed serious blood clots in April 2021 after getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. He needed emergency life-saving surgery to remove about two meters of his intestine. He's doing much better, but still has health challenges. He's still waiting for compensation. My injury was um, confirmed to be vaccine-induced within days of my first surgery. I'm aware of thousands of people like me across the world who have been struggling to get their doctors to, um, 
to work with them to try and provide treatments or study them. The scale of this is enormous, Madam Deputy Speaker, and I don't think the government has come to terms with the extent of it. You've got a situation here again where the minister is blaming the service authority, the service authority are blaming the minister, and who are suffering the victims, the uh, victims of these vaccine damage incidents, which I, I, I fear uh, those victims are not going to go away, and nor is this issue, and I hope the government's going to address it. Um, my friend Katrina, she is 28 years old. She was perfectly healthy before. She only had one dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Five days later, she was beginning to experience brain fog. Now she's had a stroke. Uh, she's had three suspected heart attacks. And she's a very good friend of yours. Yeah. Three people that I met in June when we had our event on vaccine injuries. And we're going to start with a St Stephanie, who is the mom of uh, Maddie DeGarry. Uh, Maddie participated in the Pfizer trial for... Uh, children. Uh, when she was 12, she's now 13 years old, uh, vaccine injured. Um, and both Bree and Maddie have tragically and unfortunately been cast aside, ignored, forgotten by the vaccine manufacturers and by our healthcare agencies. So uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, Stephanie and Maddie, you could come here. Uh, and what, Stephanie, why don't you tell your story? Okay. Um, hi, my name is Stephanie DeGarry, um, and this is my daughter, Maddie. Um, when she was 12 years old, uh, she participated in the Pfizer COVID vaccine trial for 12 to 15-year-olds at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. This is the first trial any of my kids have ever been in. I never had considered ever putting them in a trial before, but this seemed like, you know, when they asked if they could be in it, it seemed like a win-win. You know, so it's been over nine months since she got her second dose. She can't walk. She's in a wheelchair. She has an NG tube for all of her nutrition. She has constant pain in her stomach, back and neck. She was over there laying on chairs because she can't make it through this. She can't feel her legs. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. When she got her first dose, her reaction was typical. She had fever, body aches, and fatigue, and it went away in a couple days. When she got her second dose, she had immediate pain where she had gotten the injection. And the first thing she told me when she, because her dad took her, was that that didn't happen. That, that hurt way more than the first time. Like, enough to point it out. In less than 12 hours, she developed severe abdominal pain horrible nausea, painful electric shocks on her spine and neck. Her hands were ice cold when you touched them. She had, um, and on her feet, pain all over her body. Um, her vaccine arm went numb. And I'm finding more and more stuff. Is with, I, I, you forget stuff because so much has happened to her. Um, like as I read through things, I, I keep re-documenting everything. Um, she had chest pain, severe chest pain, the way she described it, it felt like it was being, her heart was being pulled out of her neck. Tachycardia that was actually seen on an EKG. Um, and she was extremely dizzy, so that she felt like she couldn't stand up. Uh, so we did what we were told. 
um, we called the study doctor and they told us to go to Cincinnati Children's ER where the trial was held to check for appendicitis. She did not have appendicitis. They couldn't even find her appendix. What made it into the trial um, record is unclear. And, and yes, we did ask several times and have it documented. We still don't know what was actually reported. In the EUA amendment, Maddie's adverse reaction was reduced to five lines that they claim was eventually diagnosed as functional abdominal pain. By the data cutoff for the trial on March 13th, Maddie experienced over 35 adverse events, different things happening to her, very similar to all the stories that you're hearing here. This happened during the trial. Some examples are blood in her urine, seven times, decreased vision, loss of feeling from her waist down, dizziness, fainting, tremors, muscle weakness, and more. They're all available in the slides, all of her reactions. None of these were mentioned in either document. She went to the ER nine times and was hospitalized three times for a total of 63 days, and this was by June 1st. Look at the dates of that article and around when this was approved. Maddie was in the hospital when the EUA was approved for 12 to 15-year-olds. The doctor did not even know it. Does your child, when they have a stomach ache, does that put your child in a wheelchair? Does your child's stomach ache require a feeding tube? Does your child spend 64 days in hospital for their stomach ache? If they did a urine test when they have a stomach ache, would there be blood in their urine? I don't think so. I thought that Maddie would be in the best hands possible in the rare chance she had a severe reaction. That, that was not the case. They did everything in their power to hide everything that happened to her. And that is why this is happening to every, all these other people and kids. So my question is, you're hearing my story. Maddie was not kicked out of the trial. So she's still in it. By the way, so is my son, Lucas, who did not. He was in the placebo group, and he did not get the vaccine. So they have one person, if you want to know that, that they can, and he hasn't had COVID. If they minimalize Maddie's reaction to the vaccine like this, I wonder what really happened to those in the clinical trials who had a reaction to the, sec the first dose. They never got to have the second dose. That means they're out of the trial. They're disqualified. I wonder what else was hidden. 